Good morning, everyone. So great to see you again. Uh, my name's Josh. If I haven't met you yet, or if you're out there online, um, yeah, it's special to see your faces and not just a tiny black dot in a camera as I'm doing this. Well, I wonder, have you ever wrestled with the tension where sometimes it feels like what you do matters, but then other times you kind of feel like the things you do don't really matter at all or don't change anything? Uh, I've mentioned before that I used to be a personal trainer and there were days where I felt like at work, the things that I did really mattered. Uh, I turned up to my job every day and helped people work out in the gym and I saw people grow in their confidence, grow in mental and physical health, uh, people grow in their discipline as we train in the gym. I remember one guy who went from being unable to pick up his kids to being able to play with them in the park every day after school and it was really special. Uh, there were days when it felt like the things I was doing really mattered. But other times some people would stop training They'd go back to where they started, possibly even worse, in just a couple of months, and it kind of felt like, what was the point? All those hours of doing burpees and push-ups in the gym, it kind of didn't make a difference. Even the people who did make exercise a, a lifelong habit, they're gonna get older. One day they might lose their independence. All of them will die, and it just kind of feels like, what's the point of doing it? Have you ever felt like that? It might be with your job, or it might just be that kind of circular cycle of your days and your weeks and your months where you just keep doing the same thing over and over again, and, and you do them because they matter to you, but then it also kind of feels like they achieve nothing. You mow the lawn only to do it two weeks again. You wash all the dishes, and then tomorrow night you can't find a single fork to eat, to, to eat with. You, you wash your car only for it to rain immediately. And you go to the shops and no matter which queue you choose to join, the one you choose will definitely be the slowest. It kind of doesn't matter what you do. What's the point of doing these things? Well, the book of Ecclesiastes has started like a slap in the face to wake us up. Uh, the preacher wants us to see very clearly that this life is fleeting and frustrating. That death is the certain end and is the great leveller that means we have no gain at the end of our life. Most people don't like to think about these kinds of things because it's a bit too depressing, uh, it's a bit too painful to think about, but the preacher of Ecclesiastes says, if we want to get how to live life well, then we need to see, sit deeply in this truth, that life is fleeting and frustrating, that death is certain, and that death is the reason why all your toil in life won't produce any lasting gain. But we also saw last week a bit that that doesn't mean that every single thing that you do is completely meaningless. Kurt told us that even though our toils can't produce ultimate gain, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't care at all about what we do and that what we do doesn't matter at all. So how is that the case and what do we do with it? How do we live in this tension where what we do feels like it matters, and yet none of it brings any gain in the end. Well, that's the question that chapter 3 is wrestling with. What we do matters, but none of it brings any gain. So if you want to understand this tension and get how to live well in it, then Ecclesiastes 3 is a perfect passage for us to get stuck into. And I'm praying I can do it justice this morning. So let's get stuck in. Point 1, there's a time for everything but none of it brings gain. Uh, have a look, have your Bibles open, have a look down at verse 1. 
For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. There is a time for everything. There's actually a right time for the different seasons of life. And verse 2 to 8 is this poem where we see that there's actually right responses to the different seasons that happen in life. There's a right time and a right place for certain actions. There's a time when it's right to mourn, and there's a different time when it's the time to dance. For me, that's a very short window of time. For Kurt, that's, that's quite a large window of time. There's a time when it's right to speak. There's a time when it's right to be silent. A time, the fact that there's a right time for certain things actually says that there's meaning in what we do. The preacher doesn't say, don't worry about what you're going to do. It doesn't matter anyway. Just do whatever you want. No, there's a right time when it matters to live out the right response. And I think that kind of makes sense of how we feel about life. Most of us, we don't just do random things at random times believing that nothing really matters anyway. We instinctively kind of get that there must be something that matters about what we do. The preacher's been taking us on this journey to try to figure out how to live life well. And here, he gives us the first key. A vital task to living life well is having the wisdom to understand what time you're in and how to act appropriately. Understand what time you're in and understand how to act appropriately. I vividly uh, remember one of my cousins, uh, I don't know why, he'd uncontrollably laugh whenever he got in trouble. Especially when he was in serious trouble. The kind of more serious the trouble, just the funnier he thought it was. He couldn't, he couldn't help it. And I can tell you, every single time, it made things worse for him. He's being busted by his teacher, busted by his dad. Laughing is not the right response to getting busted. Wise living is getting the time you're in and responding rightly to it. One of the things we can be in danger of is thinking that we're the ones who decide the times or the seasons. Uh, we try to act to bring about one particular season, or we do something else to try to prolong the season we're in so we can have it forever. One of the lessons from Ecclesiastes 3 is that we are not in control of the times. God is. No, wisdom is understanding the time you're in and acting appropriately. Uh, one particular era our culture, I think, influences us to do this poorly is in growing up. Uh, there's a time to act and think like a child who has no responsibility, but there's also a time to grow up and to take on responsibility. Uh, have you ever heard of the term kidult? Uh, our culture celebrates the kidult, the adult who acts like they're not grown up. But the reality is that growing up is to recognise you're in a different time now. Not moving on to maturity is actually not good for you. It's not good for society. It's not good for church. It's not good for your family. See, the child is in a time where they receive and they get. But growing up is learning to give and to lead. I heard someone helpfully say that part of growing up is the move from just sitting back and being able to complain about what everyone else is doing and how all those people are failing to do the things and this and that. Growing up is moving towards someone who becomes just part of making this thing work, whatever it is. At church and in society, we need people who don't just prolong this period where we kind of absorb and get, but we become people who give and serve. Growing is to say we're in a different time now. And we need to grow to maturity. It kind of applies to older people as well who dream of the life of the young person, wishing that you could just escape all the responsibilities and things that weigh down your life. Wish I could just do whatever you want. 
Ecclesiastes says that's not living well. You need to recognise the time you're in and live according to that. Not pining after the time you're not in or trying to prolong the little season that you're in that goes forever. So what we do matters because there's a right time for certain things. But, but even with all of that, the preacher, he gets to the end of the poem and he just throws his hands up in the air. Verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil? Even though what you do matters, he still comes back to the fact that there is nothing you can do that brings ultimate gain in the end. No, verse 2, there is still a time to die. That is the end point of your life and death cancels out any kind of gain that you try to make. Verse 19 says, For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. Just like the animals, we are lowly creatures who don't gain anything. Because in the end, we return to the dust. And the preacher puts before us this great tension of life. What we do matters, but none of it brings any gain. How do you feel as you sit in that tension? Does it feel kind of confusing how to live life? It can feel completely crushing. What what do I do? And it kind of makes us say, why? Why is it like that? Ecclesiastes 3 says, God made it that way. Have a look at verse 11. He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. See, God made the different times. He made it so that there's a right time for different things. And and he made it so there's a beauty to the rhythm and the order and patterns of life. And he made it so there's a beauty to the individual parts of life. There's a beauty to to laughing and dancing, healing, loving, to, to new life being born. We act meaningfully in a life that contains beauty. God made it that way. But that's not our only experience of life, is it? Verse 10, I have seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. That word busyness is kind of the word for for burden. Uh, Lots of life is burdensome, this aimless busyness that's painful and doesn't last. Verse 14 says that what God does endures forever, but not what we do. No, God's curse on us in the world means that we experience a whole range of things. In that poem, it says we experience killing and mourning, weeping, hate and war. And the curse means that we ultimately die. There's this tension that the times matter, but they don't bring gain. And it can mean that we look at life and we see things that matter. That there's beauty and pattern to the order of times. That there's beauty in the different seasons of life. And it can make us kind of look at life and say, well, there's got to be something more. There's all this beauty and pattern and order. and There's got to be something bigger than all of this. It it just feels like it's pointing to something. But then you also see the burden of life. You see the awful things that don't make sense. The fact that death comes to the good person and to the bad person. The old and to the young. As I look at disease and famine and evil, you think, how can there possibly... Be more. There's some things that make me go, there must be more, and there's other things that make me say, how can there be? 
verse 11 tells us about that experience. God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We have an internal sense that there's got to be more to this life. God has put eternity into our hearts. But we can't quite understand what it's all about. Most people through human history have searched to find that there's something more, trying to find God through religion or find their own purpose and meaning in the world. It's kind of built into us. We have eternity in our hearts. But people have come up with all kinds of different answers, haven't they? Because we long for it and we get there must be something, but it's beyond us. We don't fully get it. God has put eternity into our hearts, but not so that we can see the big picture. There's this tension that the preacher finds himself in. It's it's the tension we're in. What we do matters, yet it doesn't bring any gain. We have a sense that there's something more, but it's beyond us. So how do we live in that tension? Verse 12. We're at point two. Receive and revere. The preacher brings us to the the high point of this tension. What do we do? This is what he summarises, verse 12. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Receive and revere. Let's start with receive. Uh, This is kind of what Kurt talked about last week. If you pursue the things of this world and try to find ultimate gain and meaning in them, they will disappoint you and frustrate you forever. When you pour everything into your work, there's always that next ladder to climb, that next thing to achieve, and you'll be chasing something that you You'll never quite catch it because it's like trying to catch the wind. And even the small things that you do achieve will one day disappear and be passed on to someone else. If you chase body image and beauty, you'll always feel ugly and aging compared to someone younger and more beautiful. If you chase pleasure and money, you'll never have enough of it. Jim Carrey, the famous US actor, said this. He said, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. It's amazing, isn't it? An insight from someone who's been there and done that and had it all. And he says, pursuing the things of this world, chasing after them, they won't lead to gain. It won't even lead to happiness. The preacher says, instead, enjoy the things for what they are. Good gifts from God. He says, when you get them in their proper perspective, you can enjoy them for what they're made for. It's a little bit like a mum chasing a cup of tea. Tony told me about this. There's a mum who spends her day pressing the button on the kettle, but never gets a chance to sit down and have that cup of tea because as soon as you do, a million other things happen and the kids are running around and something breaks and someone calls and all day she thinks about making that cup of tea and sitting down to have it and she imagines if only she had the chance to sit down and enjoy that cup of tea, she'd find rest, she'd find peace, And everything would be okay and she'd be able to get through her day, but she never gets there. The kettle boils and stays full, it boils and stays full, 
the reality is, the tea is never going to bring her any of those things. Even if she finds time for the tea, it's going to disappoint her. But if she enjoys the tea for what it is, a good gift from God that she can be thankful for and then move on, then she's put it in its right place and she gets Ecclesiastes 3. Enjoying God's gifts in their proper place, giving thanks to God, and not trying to get more out of them than what they can give is the way to live life well. In a life where what we do matters, but it doesn't bring ultimate gain. That's the preacher's first answer for living in this tension. Receive things as a good gift from God. It puts them in their proper place. The second part is to fear or revere God, verse 14. God has done these things so that people fear before him. The way to live in a world that we're not in control of is to fear the one who does. Chapter 3 tells us that God's work endures, not ours. God controls the times, not us. God is in control, and we are not. God is the big and powerful ruler who sees the whole picture. We are weak and small and very little. It's insane to be proud or to live as though we're in control. But when you get the reality that Ecclesiastes paints of the world, it is far better to fear God. To have a humble and lowly heart that comes from understanding the majesty and holiness and power of God. If you want to live well in this life, in the tensions of life, then fear God. Receive God's good gifts and fear him because he's in control. That's the preacher's answer. This is how you live well in the tensions of this life. But this tension we find ourselves in, in our life, well, it's not the end of the story, is it? The preacher in Ecclesiastes, he gets the world and the time that he lived in, but he didn't have the full picture of everything. See, he's right that our toil and our labour, they don't bring any gain because of death. But in the New Testament, we see that there is a kind of toil that isn't in vain, that actually does lead to gain. What is that? And how is it possible? Well, come with me to 1 Corinthians 15. It'd be great to flick your Bibles over there. 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to see two things. First thing we're going to see is that death is no longer the all-powerful enemy that cancels out and neutralizes lasting gain. Have a look at verse 54 with me. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? In 1 Corinthians, we find this poem that's different to the poem in Ecclesiastes. It's a poem that's able to mock death because death has been totally defeated. It's incredible. This unquestioned, invincible power in Ecclesiastes is just laughed at in 1 Corinthians 15. How is that possible? Well, look at the next verse. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin is the sting that gives power to death. See, because all mankind is sinful, well, death reigns. And sin is powerful because all of us transgress God's law. We're sinners and we know it, and we can't stop it. 
And so death reigns over all of us and death laughs at our feeble attempts to pursue lasting gain. But if you can defeat death, or if you can defeat sin, then you can defeat death. And that's exactly what our Lord Jesus Christ has done. He lived a perfect life, the only one who's never sinned. He never transgressed God's law. The only one who doesn't deserve death as a consequence of sin. But he did die. He died to take the punishment of sin and he was raised to defeat death so that we can share with him in victory. See, death doesn't have to be the end point of life anymore. There's more life after death for those who share in Jesus' victory. But if you don't share in Jesus' victory, well then death still is the end for you and there's no gain to be had. And if you've got questions about that, if you're not sure if you share in Jesus' victory, as Rod said, it'd be great to write that on a Connect card, come to our life course, that's what we're going to be looking at. It'd be really worth coming. But the first thing to see is that in Jesus, death is no longer the all-powerful enemy that cancels out and neutralises lasting gain. The second thing to see is what that means for our labour and toil. In the world of Ecclesiastes, it's right to say, what gain has the worker from his toil? Nothing. But now have a look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labour is not in vain. Since death has been defeated, there is now an opportunity to do a kind of labour that is not in vain. And a work that does lead to a net gain at the end of life. It's not saying that every kind of labour leads to gain, but there is one. Labour in the Lord. What's that? It's labour that advances the gospel among unbelievers and establishes believers in the gospel. It's labour that advances the gospel among unbelievers and establishes believers in the gospel. Because this kind of labour actually saves people from death. See, the lasting gain is that people are brought from death to life and can live for eternity in relationship with God. There's no other kind of labour that can do that. It's incredible. There's a labour that does lead to lasting gain. So what do we do with all this? I want to go back to Ecclesiastes 3 and talk about the idea that Living well is understanding the time you're in and living in right response to it. See, we are living in a different time to the writer of Ecclesiastes. The Bible says that now we live in the last days or the last times. Let me steal someone's illustration. It's a little bit like football in extra time. That's the time we're in now. See, how you play in extra time is different to how you play in the first half of a game. When you're in extra time, you don't need to save any energy for the second half. You just kind of kill yourself and you do everything because you know that the time is short. When you're in the first half, you still go hard, but you kind of have to save yourself a bit. In extra time, you go all out. Knowing what time you're in changes things. And with the death and resurrection of Jesus, extra time has started. Everything that's needed to happen for salvation to go to the world has now happened. The time we're in is different to the time of Ecclesiastes. 
In Ecclesiastes, the preacher was going hard for God, doing everything for him, eating and drinking and being faithful in his work, which are good things to do, but we're not in the same time. We want to do those things, and they're part of living life well, but they're not the ultimate thing now. See, now is the time to bring the gospel to the whole world with everything we've got, to pour ourselves out. See, Ecclesiastes says, knowing the time you're in shapes how you should respond. And now the time is to pour yourself out for the sake of the gospel. We have a short time to maximise the footprint we can leave for the gospel. There is only one labour that you leave behind that leads to ultimate gain. How can you make the biggest footprint on this earth for the gospel? How might you, knowing the season and time that you're in, given the context that our world is in, maximise your footprint for the gospel? That labour that is in the Lord is not in vain. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that you are in control and we are not. That you decide the times and you teach us how to live in them. Father, we pray that we would live lives well, that we would fear you and live for your glory. Help us to respond rightly to the to the little things and the different seasons in life and help us respond rightly to the wider context and the time of the last days. Thank you so much that death is no longer the end, that death is no longer the thing that crushes all of our efforts. Help us to enjoy the good gifts that you've given us, but ultimately help us to take part in whatever way it looks like for us in that work that does last labouring, knowing that you were at work, bringing people from death to life in Jesus. And we pray we would recognise the short time we're in and pour ourselves out for that work. Help us to catch the vision of time that you have. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.